In a world where podcasts have become the new lower back tattoo, one NFL superstar and two other dudes did another podcast, and they have no idea what they're doing. Bledsoe's Basement Tapes with Drew Bledsoe. Hey, everybody. We're back with part two of our conversation with our good friend Rick Meyer, Notre Dame legend. Goshen High School. Go Red Hawks. Used to be the Redskins, now they're the Red Hawks? Correct. Yeah, no, we uh, just excited to get back here with Rick. Both of us, uh, after our NFL careers, decided rather than going to meetings for our problems, we'd invest in them. <laughs> I'm Drew Bledsoe, sitting here with my brother Adam. Hi. Um, sitting here with our good friend, Rue Carmichael, editor-in-chief of uh, Deep River Books. Kind of ironic, don't you think? Because it was founded on the banks of the Metolius River, which is only about six inches deep. There's a section that gets down to about a foot and a half so down by the fish hatchery. So that's deep to you? That's deep for a small person. That's true. That's true. Also, really proud to have our, uh, our good friend, Emmy Award winning producer, extraordinaire, international or maybe regional man of mystery, Jim Roach. Well, thanks for the kind intro, Drew. Yeah, happy to have you, bud. Well, Rue, what's going on in your world? Anything exciting? Um, I kind of had, had a bit of a rough week. Uh, Drew, as you guys know, I adopted a section of the highway out there by Sisters, section 7 through 11, kind of near the Sisters Rodeo Grounds. And uh, at first, it was great. I got my plaque and my name on there and uh, went and got my picture taken underneath it. It said, Highway Adopted by Rue. And my parents came out and uh, my dad said he was proud of me. Oh, don't cry. And uh, no, he's like, uh, you're really showing some initiative, and I like this. I like this, this where you're going with this. Um, but then a couple days ago, a guy from the highway calls me, highway department, I guess, and he goes, "Hey, um, are you going to come out here and uh, clean this up?" I'm like, what? He goes, "There's litter everywhere." I, go, I just wanted to adopt it. I don't want to clean it up. <laughs> <laughs> He goes, no, that's not how this works. And I go, I don't really have time. I go, what about the prison people? What are they doing? Get some of them out there, maybe. He goes, no, they're kind of busy. They're out in the woods picking pine cones. It's Christmas season. So he goes, it's getting gross. There's a couple of carcasses out here. I go, but what about that new Oregon law, you know, where you can take like a deer home for, for meat or whatever? And he goes, well, no one really wants a raccoon carcass. So... I got to go out there. He goes, did you read the manual we sent you? And I go, I, well, the part about how to get your, your plaque and your name on it, right, and to post it. And he starts getting mad. He goes, do you have any experience in this? I go, we do have adopted uh, sister. I didn't have to clean her, though. <laughs> I figured, I was hoping this would be kind of a similar deal. So long story short, I'm looking for some volunteers, some help. Um, if you want to take some pristine um, highway mileage, miles 7 to 11, help me clean up. I'll, I'll do the adopting part. You do the cleanup part. If you could leave my name on the plaque, um, that'd be great. We'll do kind of a partnership. Uh, let me know. So well, that's what's going on. Tough week. Bledsoe's Basement Tapes, where you get interviews with the hottest celebrities of the day. And also, Rick Meyer. So uh, both you guys are now very esteemed winemakers getting lots of accolades from the the top wine critics in the world. So I think, if I remember correctly, I think Rick hit the market first. Am I right about that? Barely. barely. Yeah, barely. Yeah. He committed 
earlier. He did. I committed earlier. Rick jumped ahead. I had products faster. Stuff that was already in the bottle. So what was like the... So, I I mean, you guys spent a great deal of time together. Did you independently decide that you were going to get into wine? Or did you guys kind of talk about it a lot and then decide this is something that we're both going to do? You know, Rick's Napa, you're Washington State, obviously. How did that come about? How did that conversation start? We had a lot of evenings and good wine and dinners and stuff and trips here and there. And everybody likes Napa's great, but Washington made more sense for him in the end. But I think the way I remember it, we had a group, a couple other guys, and we're going to do something together, which would be super cool, but very complicated. That was the group that included, uh, I think it included Dan Marino and Damon Heward. Exactly. And they're now doing their own thing. So as it worked out, all four of us had input and some participation with the three different Actually, four or five different brands now. You guys, you've, you've all kind of gone after that dream and like done it. Well, and he said, um, Drew said, all right, I'm going forward. And we looked at property. I remember going flying over and seeing raw land and like, here's what's available. Here's what we could do. And then I just was like, ah, this is such a family thing. I can feel like the history here for you. And it's your, this is your area and your town. As much as I like to do this. I'm in California. This is your project. I'll just find a different way to do something that makes sense for me. Because he was going forward with they or didn't without. They have a lot of grapes in you know, Indiana at the no, time? Yeah, no. Okay, not, not, no. Prize, not prize wine land at that point yet. I think, well, we, I don't know how much wine you drank before <laughs> 1995, but mine was zero. Not very much. Yeah. Well, and I'll flash back for a second because it was, it was sort of funny because you know, I grew up in Washington State, but... The first person to introduce me to Washington wine was Rick. He's from Indiana. <laughs> now he's living in Seattle. He was also and the first to introduce you to grunge music, if I remember correctly. Yeah, whatever. There's a lot of firsts. <laughs> no, tons no, of birdies. It's all no, kinds. I, 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 tons and tons of birdies. <laughs> also birdies. Yeah, thank you for that, for showing me what a birdie is. Drew, this is a birdie. <laughs> What's that mean? When it's a par four and you make it in three strokes, that's a birdie. <laughs> cool. You'll never see one again. Yeah, came out to uh, came out to Seattle, and we sort of got into wine because we were supposed to. I think is how I remember it for me. Didn't go to dinner, and we're like, "Oh, well, we're not supposed to drink whiskey and beer at a fancy restaurant, so we'd buy whatever was expensive on the list." Right. But then came out to visit Rick and Stephanie, and and he's like, "Hey, by the way, your uh, your little home state here is actually making some kick-ass wine. Try this. Kill Cedar Creek, probably is what." Yeah, 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 yeah. And and so we're sitting there, and and, and so Rick kind of walked. He's like, no, if you smell it first, then it gives you a preview of what it's going to taste like later. I'm like, really? That sounds really dorky and obnoxious. But then... Um, it is. It is, right? Yeah. We actually went far down that rabbit hole for a little bit. We made an offer on a piece of property on Red Mountain, which is, if you're not from eastern Washington, Red Mountain was like the worst piece of real estate you could possibly imagine. It was goats and tumbleweeds, but now it's one of the most famous wine regions in the world. That got turned down. We tried to buy another piece, the four of us, me and Rick and Damon and Dan, and that fell through. And then we kind of went our separate ways, and then uh, next thing you know, I'd been like, well, you know what? Went back to Walla Walla. Chris Figgins jumped on board from Leonetti and uh, decided to jump in with both feet and start throwing a bunch of money at it. And uh, Rick you know, informed me like fairly soon after that. I was like, yeah, by the way, this is, something you, I, this is exactly the way this conversation <laughs> happened, by the way. <laughs> we're in Montana. We're sitting by the fire. And uh, we kind of got double back, and we sort of started, he goes, well, it's something I should probably tell you about. Bought a winery, and uh, we're actually going to release wine this next year. So fuck you. <laughs> I don't think he said fuck you. He was, he was actually very polite about it. I would say that. He no. was very polite about it. 
um, but started Mirror Winery down in Napa and uh, has made a bunch of really kick-ass wine. And we have our deal in Walla Walla with Double Back and Bledsoe Family Winery. And, and uh, now Damon and Dan have a winery called Passing Time in Washington as well. Rocking the double entendre there, if you will. Passing time, throwing the football in. Also, well, they're all double entendres, really, aren't they? Double back as he went away and came back. Also, that mirror yeah. is a some sort of a play of words on mirror. Which yeah, it, well, there's two vineyards that mirror each other across the valley, but uh, that also trip, works. that's a triple entendre. I'm triple enta- the, the, <laughs> the elusive triple entendre. The elusive triple entendre. <laughs> But the cool thing, though, is like just one like very brief, serious moment, which we don't do very well here. But the cool thing is when we got into the business, there, there was a stigma attached to athlete wines, like jock wines, that they weren't serious projects. You know, it was like somebody was just going to slap their name on somebody's crappy third label and uh, put it out there as like an endorsement deal. The cool thing for, for I think, all four of us now uh, is that, that we're really serious about what we're doing. Uh, Rick's making killer wine down in Napa, and Damon and Dan are waking, making wine and washing this really serious juice. And so now we, we've kind of flipped the script on them a little bit where um, we're involved, but it's not just an endorsement deal. We're actually making serious juice, which is really fun. Bledsoe's Basement Tapes, not to be confused with Bledsoe's Basement Tapas, Drew's failed Spanish restaurant he opened in 2009. So we're going to go to the mailbag. Uh, we get some uh, emails, questions come in from outside. First question, uh, Drew, Matt here from San Diego. Huge fan and hoping you pick my question. Congratulations, Matt. We picked your question. Uh, when you were on Jerry Maguire, did you get to meet Tom Cruise and was he as creepy as he seems? We did get to meet Tom Cruise. He was uh, shorter even than I thought. It was interesting though when I met him, he was totally in character. He, I actually met Jerry Maguire. I didn't meet Tom Cruise. Apparently, he just like wow. dives into the character, and so I, I, I got to meet Jerry Maguire. Is there a real difference, though? You know, that's what I don't know. Yeah. That's what I don't know. But um, I you don't know, think we, Jerry Maguire was a Scientologist. That's a yeah. good point. I'd hate to meet the Tom Cruise from Interview of a Vampire. Yeah. <laughs> True. True. I would like it's to like, meet Days of Thunder Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah. Risky Business Tom Cruise is my favorite. Yeah, no, he was super nice. My wife was with me, and of course, she then had a crush on him. You know, well, you he were was like so sweet. Twelve then, right? I was, uh, I was, I was twenty-two, twenty-three, something like that. I, I could really see th- the side of Adam's head in in the newspaper clipping they use. I'm only in the uh, we used to call it the letterbox version, the widescreen version. Uh-huh. If you watch the old one that was on VHS, I, it got cut. The sides oh. got cut, and, was, oh, damn and I went with it right there on the cutting room floor. The funniest, like the rest of this podcast. The funniest story that came out of the Jerry Maguire thing, when, when Cameron Crowe was writing that, it was when I was going through the draft, so he followed me around through the draft, which was kind of fun. So some of the scenes kind of look familiar, but in the opening, there's a picture of our family, and none of the family, including me, had ever been in a movie, so it was kind of cool. But this uh, picture, they went in and they photoshopped my dad out of the picture and put Tom Cruise in his place. Mm, my dad was actually not very happy about oh, that. Oh, poor Mac. Yeah, it was this big moment. It was going to be his break into Hollywood. I could see, I could just see Mac Bledsoe talking to Tom Cruise. What would that go like? Oh my God! Could send, uh, could send Tom Cruise out to dinner with Dad. And, um, see who has a better uh, accent creeping on the waitresses. Uh. I wonder if Tom Cruise rolls his R's when he goes to a Mexican food restaurant like Dad does. Our next mailbag question comes to us from uh, Rick from Sarasota, Florida. How's it going, Rick? Thanks for being a fan of the show. Hey, Says, Rick. Uh, Rick says, hey, Drew, congrats on the new podcast. Question is, how well did you know Aaron Hernandez, if at all, and do you have any stories about him? 
Well, I didn't play with Aaron, so for those that are not a fan of the sports games, sports ball games, like our friend Jim, uh, Aaron Hernandez was a uh, tight end for the Patriots, who was uh, convicted of double murder. Um, maybe might even have killed a third person. I guess um, he has passed away since uh, in prison. Uh, I did get to meet Aaron Hernandez. We were on the field, and we actually, had, you know, we we're having a good laugh. It was with him and. Mr. Kraft and, and um, with uh, Brady, and we're they're laughing. At, and Aaron Hernandez pointed out that when he was little, he had Drew Bledsoe jammies. What does a Drew Bledsoe jammy look like, and why don't I have any? I'll show you. I sleep in them every night. <laughs> <laughs> Not lying. No, but really, is it is it a real thing? Uh, yeah, I guess. I didn't even know they existed, honestly. But, uh, yeah, uh, it may have been just a... a, a jersey or something but uh yeah that was kind of interesting we had a good laugh about that and uh, a short couple months later found out that uh, he was actually out there killing people wow i wonder if he had your number on his like gun i I don't know i don't know (laughs) i wonder if he had like patriots grip tape on his knife i don't know i'm just trying to think of stick them yeah like murder jokes murder (laughs) jokes Uh, what's funny oh so funny speaking of which there's like a lot of people in the nfl that have gotten into some like violent trouble huh uh, not a lot, but there there are a few. Dan Fouts. Dan Fouts, notorious violent criminal. <laughs> but he was never charged. Damn. Oh, oh <laughs> what? what? I mean, how's wow. that for a guy that doesn't know sports balls? From, from the cheap seats, throws in a sports illusion. Boom. Never would have seen that coming. Did you just we, ha- we have to cut the Dan Fouts part, by the way. Why, is he dead? No. He's just a nice guy. He's a super nice guy. I, I think that was sort of the point. Yeah. I played basketball with uh, Jeff Smith. He killed it with the ladies. Bledsoe's Basement Tapes with Drew Bledsoe, Adam Bledsoe, Rube Carmichael, and Jim Roach. Jim, name five NFL teams right now. The Onion Rings. Amazing. I didn't know you knew all those teams. I did. It's impressive. I do. No, I know there's the Chargings, um, the Flaters. Uh, you played for the Samuel Adamses. <laughs> I did. I did. Good memory. This segment of the podcast is brought to you by adults wearing NFL jerseys. Hey, man, you're 40. Hey, we're back, uh, guys. And uh, I, I want to jump into just a couple more stories with Brick while we have them. So this last season when Marshawn Lynch re-signed with the Seahawks, showed up for his first day. And he got out of a big Suburban or Escalade and Skittles fell out of the car, which is genius. Genius. Crazy. Right? It's like gallons and gallons and gallons nuts. of Skittles. Oh, many, many Skittles. Uh, and that all started because he liked to eat Skittles and he would eat Skittles on the sidelines. And so, like, he had some candy on the sidelines and ended up making, I'm certain, millions of dollars from Skittles for that. But there was a time back when Rick and I were playing, he playing in Seattle, preseason game, right? Yes. And you did something similar. It was treated slightly different. Yeah, it didn't go over well, but I don't think I was the only guy that had a little something to eat during a preseason game. But we were in um, San Francisco, and I get handed after halftime. Couldn't tell you what game at which part of the preseason it was, but I was done playing. And I come out after halftime, and and, uh, teammate Cortez Kennedy gives me a hot dog or half of a hot dog. We split a hot dog. He's got, we're wearing parkas in August and San Francisco is freezing. And we got these long jackets on. He's got a pocket. 
and he's got a, probably 10 hot dogs. I don't know. But he hands me <laughs> like a, half a hot dog. Is that dog. a hot dog in your pocket? <laughs> trying to keep his weight up. Yeah. And I take a bite, and it's all on the telecast. <laughs> Madden was doing the game for whatever reason, and he's circling, and, and they made a big deal out of it. And it pretty innocent act. And there were a ton of guys that had a lot of stuff in and out of the locker room and all that. But that, that didn't go over well, and it was uh, – it was kind of like we weren't paying attention to the game and we were selfish, which wasn't what it was. When in actuality, you were paying attention to the game and just enjoying a nice Frankfurter. <laughs> this gave me a better chance to stay on alert. So, <laughs> I was starving. So, quite hungry. So Marshawn ended up with an endorsement from Skittles. You did not end up with an endorsement from Ballpark. No, I got a fine. I think, uh, I think people had a problem with you going up to the 300 level to get the relish. <laughs> And a Miller Lite. That was yeah, the I biggest issue. Raw with this back. thing. Like, no, no, no relish, condiments. No nothing. You I mean, stood in line. That's just commitment. Like, don't you know who is. I am? That's how you know you're hungry if you're going to eat a hot dog with no condiments. Because <laughs> then you're like face to face with what you're actually doing. You're going to no tell Cortez no? Cortez is handed you something? Yeah, if Cortez hands you something, you're going to eat it. <laughs> you, Ricky, uh, you want a hot dog? <laughs> oh, he was hooking me up. Man, I actually had in, in one preseason game, and I won't mention a name just because that's it, not appropriate, but I had one teammate that walked over with a Gatorade bottle and handed me the Gatorade bottle, and I took a sip out of it, and it was Crown Royal. Oh, <laughs> that was I'm so too. glad that story ended that way, and that it was and Crown Royal urine. and not something else. Oh, uh, it wasn't urine. Yeah, that's what I was going no. with. I thought that was coming for sure. Nope. That like, no, happened no. on the airplane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> actually, on the ride to the airport. What was the gnarliest uh, card game you saw on an airplane? Oh boy, gnarliest. So behind oh, the this, scenes. See, this is yeah, this is uh, yeah, this is good. So, Boo Ray so, and some of the yeah, it was Boo Ray, and then we and we were playing like Smoker Fire and or in between, in between. Oh, smoke, yeah, right. Yeah, clever. Is well, that, is that similar to AC Ducey? Yeah, similar. Yeah, yeah, same same kind of games, and and it was just you know, and it was Boo Ray, and then it was in between. Well, when it changed was when folding money was not enough anymore. And so then guys had, had to go to a ledger. Guys had IOUs and then they had to go write checks that then their wives had to see. Car and keys, watches. Yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. It was yeah, there were That and, happened. Well, I know I I remember one scenario where uh a league minimum guy, special teamer lost his playoff check. In one card game. That's always who lost, too. It was yeah, never it was the, guy, the dude that had loot. It was the guy who wasn't going to make the, guy the that, team. The guy that really needed the money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, uh, I let Larry Izzo buy out of one. He went pretty deep. Larry, I hope you're listening to this. And I just want you to know, I still love your brother. I would still let you buy out of it. But that was a big number, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it was big then and big today. So they would throw watches down. Yeah. And car keys. And it could have been a little collateral, but it was... You, 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 no one has $25,000 in their pocket <laughs> or what, whatever it is, you know? So you had to put something up. Yeah. I wasn't playing. I was I was witnessing some of this stuff. But, right. And it was usually in the back row. No no good Notre Dame Catholic boy would participate in such <laughs> hijinks. Gambling hijinks. There was one that I probably can't tell the whole story, but I did get to see a couple of the largest, strongest men on the planet get in a real fight in the bottom on of the, plane? the dorm room. Oh. In the bottom of the dorms oh. at training camp. And uh this was it was terrifying. Like really, really strong big dudes that were going to blows. The one guy that I will give a nod to and say his name out loud because I love him to death, Sam Gash, fullback. <laughs> We've talked about Sam before on the podcast. Sam jumped in the middle of this thing and broke it up. And even though these guys were way bigger than Sam, 
when Sam said the fight was over, the fight was over. <laughs> Matter of fact, one dude's like, it ain't over. Sam said, yeah, because it's over. That was the end of the fight. Nobody would mess with Sam. You remember training camp, you'd have all the ball boys, like the young guys, the high school kids or younger that were part of the like ball boy situation. They were there the whole time. They got a big tip at the end. We would have them. It wasn't my idea. It was a tradition. But they would have, occasionally we'd have like a like a fight. Like a box, ball boy like fight? Boxing. Oh, we didn't do this. That's guy, like fun. The quarterback's like guy had to fight the linebacker's guy. For, for, <laughs> and then there was money. And it was like a chicken fight for like the ball boy guys. For, you guys gambling? And they got a bunch oh. of, no, they got the pot or whoever won. And somebody had to lose. Which there were probably tough. some side games. Oh, there was. was it like, like real fist fight? Bo- uh, like boxing fight? gloves. Like, like, oh, boxing like, gloves. Like a okay. ring. Like a, like a three-round thing. That's a great idea. How would we miss that one? I don't know. Probably shouldn't do that, but... Uh, what bit of a victimless wrong. crime the way I see it. <laughs> I know there was a victim. There was at least one victim. They were padded up. Yeah, I mean, they survived. Bledsoe's Basement Tapes. Sportsy kind of talk. This next segment is brought to you by the folks of Visit Mobile, Alabama. Mobile, Alabama. A terrible name for a place that hasn't gone anywhere. <laughs> Sorry, that's so stupid. Rue, you played some small college basketball. And we've, I did. We've, we've talked about this a little bit. Did you guys, at Western Baptist, did you guys have hazing? Oh, yeah. At Western Baptist, it, it was hardcore. Um, everyone had to learn three Bible verses. Jesus wept, didn't count. Um, and if you if you didn't come to practice, uh, there was some jogging. That sounds medieval. Uh, how about you, Adam, at Colorado? Any hazing that you can talk about live? Uh, Publicly? <laughs> Maybe you don't name names. If you don't no. know the hazing, maybe you were the hazer. Or was it always you? No, I was, uh, <laughs> for some reason, I had, I had one dude, uh, Ron Murkerson, who, who took care of me, uh, and I didn't get hazed, but some dudes did. The big deal there was to, um, if you didn't act right, you got taped naked to a chair and put in the elevator, and they'd hit all the buttons while you're taped naked to a chair. <laughs> this was a skyscraper downtown Denver. Yeah, it was a Hyatt. <laughs> For whatever reason, I, I was spared, but the, it definitely happened. And then it kind of, that all fizzled. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, you can't stuff. really haze Stopped. anymore, which is, that kind of sucks. Yeah, Some of it was fun. Some of it was pretty awful. I didn't see, like, really bad stuff, but there was run, one running back we had in New England, and it was it was haircuts. That's what you got. You got a haircut when you're a rookie. Not that big a deal. Yeah. My mom cried. She thought I went crazy because I had a mohawk. And she's like, oh, he went off the deep end. Like, no, mom, was hazing. <laughs> It's also when she first came to her first game and she thought they were booing me in pregame. And like, no, mom, they're saying Drew. Um, <laughs> which actually worked well because when they did boo me, That's I always said, no, no, they're just saying Drew. They, they, yeah. they love me after yeah. I throw an interception. Don't um, underestimate the power of that one. Oh, absolutely, right. Absolutely. Like, hey, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I threw a touchdown to the Raiders. Cool, thanks. Glad you love me. Yeah. But there was one, one running back. They went in and they, would, they shaved his entire head. And when they did, um, they discovered that he had a very abnormally shaped head. <laughs> Ew. And like a, like a weird like growth on the back of his head. And so all the veterans like a, felt, they felt really bad. It's like he's got like a birthmark. So I didn't see like bad hazing. Like guys kind of got like taped to the goalpost. You just had to pay for stuff. Like it was the, it was the dumbest thing. They'd order a hundred bottles of champagne and these big meals and the rookie had to pay for it. But 
Those were expensive, that by guy, the way. You go take oh, a yeah, lobster take, thermidor and throw go it in take the garbage. Them to dinner, and nobody even knows what wine is at that point. Yeah. But they're like, "Oh, this yeah. bottle is five hundred bucks. We better have three of those." Oh yeah. yeah. And then then the plates going home. That was the, yeah. the beauty. Oh, I'll then pack some stuff. I order extras for the guys that leave with. Yeah. That was cool. The only part of that that was fun though was watching Max Lane eat because it became, that became the game. Like, all right, I'll pay for it. Um, let's just see how much he'll eat. <laughs> and so finish. Had like three steaks and. Four baked potatoes, and then at the end of it, they're like, hey, Max, how much ice cream do you think you can eat? And they would just keep bringing it and keep bringing it. He'd like four big bowls of ice cream. Yeah. Like, okay, just let's see what else he'll eat. And then we'd go get pizza. Hey, everybody, thanks, uh, thanks again for listening. It's been Bledsoe's Basement Tapes, my brother Adam, Rue Carmichael, and uh, big thanks to uh, our esteemed producer, Jim Roach, and to our very first ever guest, Rick Meyer, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, buddy. This is fun.